My friends, what lays before you is the myriad knowledge of an unfathomable universe. Join our intrepid remembrancers as they explore the heresy as history. From deep within the farthest reaches of the great library of Tiska, we are the Heresy Grad School. So said the War Master in his wisdom. Go forth, my sons, and illuminate them. Okay. So are we uh, ready to go? I think so. Yeah. What are you? What are you working on over there? Me? Yeah, you. I hear you shaking something or doing something. Yeah, whatever oh, that, that is. That's just my pen. Sorry, oh. I'll put it down. No, I mean, we're in grad school. You're allowed to have pens, so. Okay. All right. Well, uh, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Heresy Grad School, part of the Remembrancers Retreat. I'm here with Professors Jason, Dave, and myself, Pat. And uh, we're continuing our coverage of... Uh, Paramar. What's going on, guys? What's up, guys? All right. So, Paramar. Paramar is a big deal. I'm a big fan. Why is it a big deal? We talked about that a little bit last time. So, besides being a very vital linchpin in so many things, both that are important to both the War Master and the Emperor, you know, it's almost dead center in the uh, warp lanes between Istvan and Terra. That's a big deal. Uh, it's also a huge military cachet that's been uh, kind of taken over and populated by the Mechanicum of Griffone Four for a while now. So we know it's important. So what's the War Master going to do about it? Now, uh, to kind of set the scene a little bit, timeline-wise, this is just after the Dropsite Massacre of Istvan V. The Salamanders, the Raven Guard, and the Iron Hands have been pretty close to eliminated as viable threats. And uh, the Warmaster's pretty happy with how that's gone, maybe not so happy with how uh, Istvan III has gone. Because if you remember our coverage of that from way, way back, uh, that just, that was a huge turd storm for Horus. Uh, a lot of stuff kind of kicked off too early. A lot of his plans uh, kind of got kicked awry because there were a few too many witnesses that got out. And now, uh, especially after Istvan V, the whole of the Imperium doesn't know what's going on, but a whole lot more parties than Horus would like know what's going on. So uh, Istvan V has kicked off pretty well, and Horus has managed to piece together all of these legions that he is decently sure at least have enough motivation to work with him against the Emperor. Uh, Angron, for one, uh, is very consistent in his thought process of he's not allied with Horus, he's just against the Emperor. But for now, that suits Horus, you know, just fine. As long as he can kind of keep him under control and keep him pointed in approximately the right direction, to cause enough problems for the Loyalists and less for him. So, uh, Paramar is something the War Master has kind of a dual purpose for. Uh, first off, it is very well defended by Mechanicum forces, by the uh, Armada Imperialis, and 
so he can't just send a tiny little fleet to try and take it over. This is not going to be a small sortie. This is a massive system with 20 planets or so, that uh, many of which are valuable strategic assets. So he can't send a small fleet, because that'll just get immediately defeated. But he also runs the risk of making too large of a commitment, because if he makes too large of a commitment too early, a lot of his forces and resources will be tied down in this sort of protracted siege of a system instead of the more shock and awe effect he wants to go for. And on top of that, something too large really risks drawing too much attention from the Segmentum Solar. Keep in mind, Paramar is directly on the outer northern edge of the Segmentum Solar. So Horus does not want to have too many of his forces tied down and have uh, you know, the soul system at large know exactly where a lot of his resources are. I've said many, many times that one of the best things Horus has going for him, and one of the worst choices uh, Dorn kind of made as the sort of, you know, de facto military leader of the Loyalists, is that he hunkered down in Terra for the most part. Uh, the Khan and Korax, uh, got into several arguments with Dorne over the length and breadth of both the Black Library books and the Black books over it being a bad idea that they need to be out to range, you know, to see where Horus is, to see what Horus is doing, and that their forces don't work well in a stagnant defensive position. Uh, because Horus literally has the entirety of the galaxy open to him. Like, Dorne does not know, comparatively, where Horus is or what Horus is doing. Uh, whereas Horus knows exactly what the end game is going to be, where Dorne is, the more or less the extent of Dorne's, you know, resources and his ability to put them into play. Wasn't that sort of the, the motivation behind uh, Dorne staying in the solar system and not committing forces because he needed to be sure that you know when forces were committed it was um at the right place in the right time like wasn't that the whole beta garmin thing that was like the that was like the titan death and the everything else death the fire death and <laughs> it was it's like everything went there to die but it was um it was because like <clears throat> at that point that was the only uh access of advance for Horus and, and his forces, right? Like the, the other warp routes had closed down and uh and so and and both sides I think knew that they did not want to fight a war with Titans and, you know, um orbital bombardments on a scale that would result in uh, you know, like planet death, right? Like exterminatus because both forces wanted to keep Terra, right? Like the the prize was was Terra, right? And if Terra is just dead, then it's not really much of a prize. So, it's a very good point. It's actually one of the biggest considerations Horus had for going after Paramar, um, and that's why uh, Horus has a very interesting series of options here. Uh, he needs to take Paramar without it being wiped out, or like Dave just said, uh, without exterminatus grade conditions, because then that prize is pretty, uh, pretty useless to anybody. And it's definitely not a job for somebody like the 
world eaters or the night lords who would just annihilate it. Uh, they mentioned the third legion may have a while ago been a good choice for here, but definitely not now. Nobody really knows what they're out and about and doing or what kind of the limits of their insanity is. Uh, the Sons of Horus may have been a good choice, the Legion themselves, but he has a different, uh, a kind of different option opened up for him here, because the Alpha Legion are kind of the newest and the least um, well-known of his inductees to the Nine Traitors. Um, during the Istvan Five Massacre, they were definitely a lot more guarded in their joining and their actions on the planet itself when the other legions were kind of in the giant planet-wide pincher movement that was the Urgal Depression and the following actions. So Horus has seen the Alpha Legion that, of course, nobody really knows what they're doing at any given moment, and he needs them to kind of... He needs a test of loyalty, is what it comes down to, on a very large scale, because while they could... Uh, while their motivations were very ethereal, to the other traitor legions at large. Uh, what we know from some of the Black Library books is a massive motivation for the Alpha Legion at Isvan V was to insert operatives into the Raven Guard. And um, there are a couple of different books and short stories that deal with this. Um, pretty sure the whole thread gets started in Deliverance Lost. Uh, you know, most of the general uh, most of the general actions of the Alpha Legion against the Raven Guard kind of get started here, of how they infiltrate the Raven Guard with uh, Astartes that were assumed dead, missing in action, killed in action on Istvan. Uh, in a couple of examples, they actually re uh, take the vocal cords and faces of dead uh, Raven Guard Astartes and have them surgically implanted onto Alpha Legion operatives that are then inserted into kind of um, almost like the stream of refugees from the Raven Guard attempting to escape Istvan. And that's uh, a very big point to their favor because, uh, as we all know, the Raven Guard are some of the first to end up with the, you know, Mark VI armor technology. They're also really on top of uh, you know, improving not necessarily improving, but definitely bringing improvements to the induction process in their Raptor projects, which of course, being unable to just not fuck with things, the Alpha Guard Legion completely mess up for the Raven Guard. Um, but we know that as, you know, readers outside of the chain of events, but the traitor legions in the moment do not know that. They do not know the Alpha Legion's motivations very well. They never have. And Horus, while he does share a more in-depth relationship with Alpharius than pretty much any of the other Primarchs, which is a pretty common theme with Horus, uh, he tends to kind of be the one Primarch that all the others know and respect and have developed relationships with, whereas there are plenty of lines of enmity between uh, the other Primarchs and themselves. Uh, he needs that test of loyalty, and that's what Paramar is going to be. It would force them to show their loyalty, 
uh, on a legion-wide scale, and it's not something like Istvan V that they could stand back and sort of take an assisting role in. It's something they're going to have to dedicate themselves to and really push into making a major commitment and a major sort of blooding of their legion for this test of loyalty. And it's not really known how Alpharius and his legion at large received these orders. We don't know if they were eager, we don't know if they were reticent to take them up, but uh, Alpharius definitely kind of understands the risks and the motivations behind this move on Horus's part. So, as the even as there's still void war going on around Istvan V, there are still loyalist ships being bracketed and blown into scrap, there's definitely still engagements going on the surface of Istvan V, uh, the Alpha Legion ships start to depart. So some of them are set off on individual operations, but a very vast um, armada of them, almost half of the entire Alpha Legion fleet is sent towards Paramar uh, with the goal of subverting it without outright destruction. And this is followed shortly thereafter by a second armada composed of Mechanicum Barks and these mass conveyance arcs that are loyal to the war map. So that's what I wanted to talk about tonight, is to get through sort of, you know, setting the board, that motivation, and where everybody's going, and why they're going there. So Jason, where does that take us up to? Are we on, are we on page 22 now, or are we still on that 21? through page, through page 20 into the very beginning of page 21. Okay, so we're, okay, so right up to false flag. Yes. Cool, man. And we'll get into some of the uh, the tactics of the Alpha Legion, um, tactics that you know you can become more familiar with as we go into uh, sort of the end of the the heresy, right? The Praetorian of Dorn, and and then uh, all of the of, uh, what do they call that? They call there's a word for it. The Alpha Legion tactical, like it's called. Yeah, the, it's uh, it's called the harrowing. The harrowing, yeah, right. That's so fucking cool, man. Well, I love like it. Do they use that in here? Operative. The name alone. Right. I Is haven't come across it yet, but I'm betting they yeah. do. I bet they do too. It's yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to getting into this more. And then uh, it's yeah. very entertaining because it's an entire process of inserting operatives and just really fucking with absolutely everything with a minimal amount of insertion of inserted operatives. And it's funny because in the Alpha Legion's actual like Legion description in their history, they mention that they they get to the point where they keep doing it even when it's not a great idea or not even necessary. It's just That's they're funny. so used to doing it they can't not do it. That's just what they do. Yeah. yeah they're good at it. Damn. Cool. Well, I have um uh, I have a little challenge for our listeners. So I know we've got some folks out there that are uh, really deep in the lore and uh, also uh, smart and way smarter than I am. Um, so I have a, a challenge, right? So I talked about the uh, stellar grid and the, uh, the sort of the system data on page 19 for Paramar 5 uh, when we sort of started talking about Paramar and where we were going. So the... The stellar grid for Paramar 5 is 44 dash URR, Uniform Romeo Romeo, slash FT, Foxtrot Tango, 
94, and the segmentum is solar terminus. So we can figure the solar terminus out pretty pretty easily, right? That's the end of the terminus of the of the segmentum solar. But the other part of that, the stellar grid, the 44 um, URR, and then FT. I wanted to look at that and see if I could decode it, right? This is so to me, this is one of those like um, riddles that Alan Bly has left us, right? What does this really mean? And and I went I went way down the rabbit hole in this, guys. So and I, I'm not sure that I have the answer, but I do have some clues, right? So I'm going to give you guys some clues to help us try to solve this riddle, right? So is this a real stellar grid, or is this just some you know some some logic and numbers that that look like they make sense sometimes, but then they don't really line up to anything. So the, the other system data that we have in book three, of course, is Istvan 5. Istvan 5 stellar grid is on page 35. Well, it's planet data is on page 35. You can look at that. Um, the stellar grid is 17 CIC, Charlie, India, Charlie, right? And then slash LC, Lima, Charlie, 26. So just ignore the numbers for now. Um, those are wildly different uh, uh, alphanumeric designators, right? They're just wildly different. They're in completely different. Um, if this were, were laid out on a grid, they would be in completely different grid systems, right? What is interesting is the first um, alpha designators have three letters in them followed by two letters, right? So uniform Romeo Romeo followed by Foxtrot Tango. That's Paramar's information on page 19. And then you follow that on page 35, and it's the same. You've got three followed by two letters. So this led me to a hypothesis, right? And so you, you, you can't map the galaxy in 2D. All the maps of the galaxy that we see in the black books are mapped in 2D, but you can't map the galaxy in 2D because it's, well, it's really four-dimensional, but it's it's three-dimensional at least. So it's possible that one of those um, alpha designators, one of those letter designators, is actually mapping it uh, longitudinally, right? So if you think about it um, from sort of a central access point, uh, longitudinally speaking, right? And that central access point could be the center of the galaxy or it could be Terra. We don't really know, just, but it, there's a central fixed access. Um, so it could be that. Now, I went through book four to see if the convention uh, stayed the same, right? If there was consistency. And lo and behold, there was right? And there's amazing consistency. So book four, The Coronid Deeps, if you go back to some of our earlier um, podcasts on The Coronid Deeps, the the systems and the planets are kind of collected in the back in this part of the book called um, The Planets of the Coronid Deeps, I think, right? The Principal Worlds of the Coronid Deeps, which start on page 65 of book four. And you go through, the first planet you come to is Mezua. And so Mezua has the stellar grid 41 HDK. Right, we'll just look at that for right now. HDK. So again, it, it's following the convention of three um, alpha designators followed by two alpha designators followed by a numeric, right? So numeric, alpha, uh, alpha numeric. And then you go through 
and you get to Grail. Uh, Grail is an HDD, so already you've got really close, right? So we know that Mezawa and Grail are close uh, in terms of the segmentum as well as the subsector that they inhabit. So we've got, we're off by just seven digits or seven alphas on the uh, on the last designated there, right? So, so Mezawa is HDK, Grail is HDD, right? So we're seven places off. So that's got to mean something. So then this was the real like the light bulb moment when it when it went off, right? We look at um, uh, cyclo, no, not cyclo three, three, numinal. We look at numinal, which is on page 74, and we have HDK. Well, what else is HDK? Mezua, right? So we have now a code that we can that we can sort of decode and construct. So Mezua is HDK and Numinal is HDK. Now, Mezua is 41 HDK. Numinal is 17 HDK. So we have a difference of 24. Could that be light years? Maybe. Maybe it's 24 light years. I don't know. It's 24 something. You look at the map and you can see that there is a significant distance, at least when it's mapped in 2D, between Mezua and Numinal. So perhaps if you tilt the map on its axes or if you blow it out, and you create it in three dimensions, you now have uh, some type of, of alignment between Mesoa and Numinal. So that's it. That's all I got. That's the extent of what my brain can handle. Um, so I need your help, listeners, uh, to solve the rest of this riddle and tell us um, that you've cracked the code and you've mapped everything out and it makes sense, and then explain it to me in my eighth grade uh, math and English vocabulary, and I will be forever grateful and probably roll some kind of prize support together, at least give you a shout out um, if, you can, uh, if you can do that. There might be a sticker involved or something like that. We'll see what happens. I mean, it'd be definitely more than a sticker involved, at least well, from me. Well. I would, yeah. But no, I, I thought that was really cool, guys. That I, I mean, there's, there seems to be this um, logic behind stellar grid systems. Now... In sort of the wider 40,000 universe, there are conventions that have been adopted, right? And one of the conventions that was adopted um, is referring to, um, let me just bring this up here, but the, I believe the galactic north is, let me make sure I get this right. I think it is. Stand by, Pat, you might have to cut some of this dead space out. Okay, the galactic north is referred to as spin word. So our galaxy is a spiral. If you were to like look at it, it looks like a, like a spin wheel, so you can figure out which direction is spin word. So the galactic north is referred to as spin word. The galactic west is referred to as the rim word. The galactic east is the core word, right? And then the galactic south is trailing. Now those are fixed, uh, those are fixed ideas. Those are fist, fixed designators. And all the research I've done suggests that they're fixed relative to Terra, right? So that all, because Terra is the throne world, it's the, it's the birthplace of humanity, it's where everything comes together. It would make sense that in sort of the most uh, ethnocentric, uh, you know, way possible, that you would then refer to those cardinal directions in terms of uh, spinward, coreward, trailing, and rimward. I mean, you always want to have, like, some type of static point in order to calculate where you're going, right? So, Yeah. 
yeah, so that that was what I did, guys, with my life for the last couple weeks. No, it was less than that, maybe like a week. <laughs> I, I tried to try tried, tried to teach myself like astro cartography. Stellar. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so, uh, are you going to work for SpaceX, NASA, or um, what's the other company that's starting? Uh, well, Virgin Aerospace or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting as far as I know, and there's got to be, obviously, there's there's some method that NASA uses, right, when it calculates galaxies. But I think it's all light years, right? It's that's really all they're doing is they're just calculating the the distance away from uh, galaxies. Uh, or planets or stars that we can observe. I don't think anyone has actually mapped out the galaxy. I mean, for if, all we know, NASA has a top secret project that is like a giant star map that, you know, we just don't have access to. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if we can see enough of it to actually map it. Um, which led me down this other really fascinating rabbit hole, which was the way the Imperium uses navigators and like really hard science to uh, orient and travel through both real space and the warp, right? So like you're traveling through the warp, you're relying on some navigators like fucking acid vision sketch, you know, that is totally unintelligible to anyone else. He's like, you know, they, you look at like some of the navigator charts and they're, they, they look like you know, something that a two-year-old would draw when he was, like, high on Tylenol. So y y y that does not link up to hardcore science, right? So when, right. You drop, when you drop out of the warp, how do you then fix position? And so you hope that you come out at a place where you're supposed to, and then you sort of have these very sophisticated auger systems and arrays and auspects that can sort of take a sounding and take a reading and try to fix your position. But... Um, it is not always accurate, and that's why ships can become um, what they call becalmed. Like, you don't fucking know where you are, dude. You dropped out of the warp. You're in real space, but you might be in a part of real space where, like, there's no map. There's no up. There's no down. There's no left. There's no right. You're just there, and you got to try to figure it out. So it is. Um, it was. It was. A, it was. It was a wild moment of realization for me, where I was like, man, these guys really are like out there in this vast ocean of nothingness, you know? So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, and if we've learned anything from a Gantz ghost book, auger scanners never work. Like at any point, like, yeah. oh my God, like in Titanicus. Oh yeah. It's, God, it's like, I oh, that one. cold weather, you know, makes aspects returns weird. Well, so do hot weather and precipitation and no precipitation and dust and atmospheric conditions. And, like, do they ever work at all? <laughs> yeah, right, even like, when they do, what if your Titan just, you know, doesn't feel like it? Because they have their own little, you know, personalities. Oh, you see that ant three miles away? Sorry, our aspects are down. You know, it's just so It just stupid. seems like an... I think it may be a possibility that the Imperium at large doesn't understand radar technology and the Mechanicum hasn't understood it for eons and they just tell everybody like, oh, sorry, it's, it's a glitch. Like cold weather makes it work poorly when they really just don't know how it works in the first place. So what I'm hearing is that they need to do a mass excavation on Terra 
of the old oceans to find a U-boat in order to get a working radar system. It's a possibility, because they don't seem to know what's going on now. <sighs> like, definitely not not M41, right? Like, no. any, yeah. any, <clears throat> any possible knowledge that was lost is, is, or, or they had is, is now been lost. But, uh, well, I mean, you now have a, a... I mean, in M41, you now have a gigantic rift, another one, so I mean... Oh, right. I keep forgetting about that. Yeah. It's a newer, big, bigger, better rift. Greater. Newer, bigger, better, more great and clean ones for everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, um, thanks for listening to that little, uh, crazy rabbit hole I went down, guys. Um, and hopefully you can help us. I Maybe if I had more time to dedicate to this, I could, may, like, figure it out if I had, like, graph paper and I could just like sketch it out. But I think there's a point at which my mind is not capable of dealing in like three and four dimensions where I just, it would, it would, it would break down. I can only imagine the next time we have a game day, we walk into your front door and there's just shit scribbled all over the walls with Sharpies and <laughs> whiteboards. Yeah. yeah. Like that Charlie got... Day photo everybody <laughs> loves. Right. You know, just shit tacked all over the place. And... Pat, Pat, the cardinal points. It's all about the cardinal points. Oh, yeah, oh, terrific. But that's yeah. what we do. That's why. That's why you guys listen to us because we we yeah. do these ridiculous deep dives to figure this shit out for you, so you don't have to. Yeah, let well, our I mean, brains I, hurt for you. I feel like a lot of our decoding product projects, though, have have actually borne fruit. Like we were able to decode Titan banners. That was cool. Yeah, yeah, that, that was pretty sexy. That worked. That and that made sense. I think the logic played out. We we actually did that before um, Titanicus came out and confirmed a lot of sort of where we were going. Um, that was but, uh, good timing on our part. It was. It was very fortuitous. You know, <laughs> we're just. I feel like I'd like to think we're just a little bit ahead of the bow wave. You know, just maybe a little, a little bit out there. We don't have any insider information. I promise you guys, we are like not that cool. Uh, I wish we were that cool. I wish we could have people from Forge World and Games Workshop on our podcast like the Age of Darkness does, right? And uh, we'll get some, there. some of the other podcasts in, in, uh, in England. Um, who, who are the guys that actually get some of the, the big, right, like the Black Library guys to come on? Are they uh, the Covenant of Fire guys? Yeah, probably. I mean, I'm pretty sure Age of Darkness has had somebody on at least. The independent characters did for a lot yes. of different folks. Yeah, that's 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 right. The independent characters, yeah, they're 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 a top notch podcast. But um, I guess it helps to live like next door too, have people over. Right. If I lived in Nottingham, you know. <laughs> if, yeah, if we drank beer together every night, you know, at the local pub. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's 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 my little crazy tangent tonight, guys. Sorry if that was distracting. And we'll get back Not to the slightest. We'll get back to regularly scheduled Paramar programming here. <laughs> Thank Darn. you, cartog- cartographer Dave. Yeah, yeah. All right, but, guys. That yep. sounds like a good place for tonight. Yeah. But um, I guess uh, we'll figure out where we want to pick up uh, for next week. And um, just a reminder, everybody, uh, we're going to be – Heresy Grad School is going to be taking a little bit of a break during August just to, you know – get our wits about us and formulate a plan for your next set of content. 
but you know, make sure to keep on listening to the main cast, and I'm sure Jason, Dave, and I might might show up on there every once in a while, maybe. But um, yeah, so I guess uh, straight into plugs, Dave. No, I I don't have anything tonight, guys. Thanks for listening. All right, Jason. Uh, same for me. Thanks for uh, showing up and listening to us ramble. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening, guys, and uh, I will uh, do. Uh, I do have a couple quick shout-outs. One is play more Warhammer Fantasy. Oh God, yes. Just for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Break out those square bases again. Right. I know. Uh, Jason is currently having a resurgence with his spicy dwarves and. And Dave's got his known uh, gunnery, and I've got my my noble Bretonians. So at you know. least until I set them all on fire. Yeah, no. that's right. <laughs> but uh, and then the uh, other thing is, you know, uh, check out our Patreon. It it really helps uh, make things better, and we're we're so close to our uh, our goal of of ten uh, patrons, so that we can you know open up. Uh, new topics to you guys and, uh, yeah, and I, give you an option you know good I, I will say that um, some of the questions you guys have post on posted to us on Facebook uh, we definitely read those and um, we, we will try to get back to you on those but if you're a patreon subscriber um, supporter and you post those to us inside of patreon I will promise you that somebody will get back to you um, within a day or two at most, um, just because it means something to us. It means something to me that you guys are um, supporting the cast, and so not to be like uh, elitist about it, but uh, you know, it's you know, it'll make it'll it'll make a difference, and I'll be able to get back to you guys a little bit quicker on some of those those crazy questions. Oh, except if it's a custodies question, <laughs> then we'll just make fun of you and then answer your question. Has true. Thousand Sons, we hate custodies and wolves <laughs> in general, but you know. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you all so much for listening. Hope it's been a good episode. Uh, now, uh, fuck off, Craig. You fuck off, Craig. You know what you did. <laughs> Night, guys. Night. See ya.